All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Underground Sessions. I'm your host, Dylan Federici. I'm joined by my illustrious co-hosts, Michael Spank. What's going on, everybody? And Christian Chavez. Hello, everyone. Look at that. Beautiful. We have a very special guest today. Not just a special guest, but the founder of the company that makes one of my favorite pedals on my board. We've got Alex from Copper Sound Pedals. What's going on, man? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. So... Let's just jump right in. Like, what is the the origin story for, like, how did you guys get into um, building pedals, building the company, kind of, like, creating what Copper Sounds is today? Yeah, so I guess the origin story, like, in a snapshot to an extent, it dates back kind of 2015 or so when I was working at Guitar Center. Uh, 2014, 2015. So I was working Guitar Center in 2012 through 15. Kind of started making some effects with um, with a friend that was working there at the time. Um, and on the side for that job, I kind of started getting the bug, if you will, like a lot of us do for effects, instruments, what have you. And um, kind of started doing it on the side just as like a fun learning thing. Um, and during that, I would make effects for friends that were there because everybody I worked with was music nerds as well, as you would expect in a music store. And I was making um, effects for some friends that would ask me and kind of like a commissioned thing. And, you know, it's one of those natural snowballs where somebody would have something from me and then they would say, oh, yeah, I got it from him over there. Uh, hey, can you make this? I can look into it, you know. I don't. My best shot. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's all self-taught stuff, which most people in this industry are, um, which is really cool. Um, It's just kind of seeing that uh, perseverance, um, which is really really cool and inspiring. So yeah, I was I was doing that for a while when I was at GC, kind of doing this on the side, um, and it was kind of slowly, slowly building traction. Just I would do it at nights, I would do it in the mornings, and then on the weekends I would do that type of thing. Um, so after I left guitar center in 2015, kind of started it in 2016. Um, when we came out with our first product Daedalus, gravity bomb and box catcher in 2016. So I guess that's kind of like the start, if you will, that'd be the next chapter for copper sound of like actually having products because originally it was like all commission stuff and one offs. It didn't really have a form factor. And I think most people that know our stuff, if you guys are familiar with it, like there's generally like a form factor in a branding that I hopefully comes across to you guys if it doesn't. Absolutely. I love the way like you're a lot of your stuff is very identifiable. You know, even if I see it in a shelf or a cabinet, you know, across the the shop, I can tell like, you know, that's a a copper sounds looking pedal kind of like um, when we talked to Joel from Chase Bliss, it was the same thing where like all the Chase Bliss pedals at the time, they've done more since we talked to him, but at the time they all had that like six knob, three switch, two buttons at the bottom. And like, that's kind of the same way I look at um, some of your, your original designs, you know, as far as the, um, you know, all your, the Fox catcher and the data list and all that stuff. Yeah, and I think that's important generally for a brand for recognition. Like you mentioned Joel, I think of Strymon. I think of a lot of companies where can you take the font and the controls away and you know who it is. And that's something we strive towards, you know, um, getting a form factor. But, um, yeah, so I guess just going back quickly to like the origins of that, 
it kind of, we laid the, like the foundation or the groundwork with Daedalus with its like style, um, with its aesthetics. Like we are, we've dubbed it the duet series that any of our pedals have the two foot switches. And, um, you know, we, we, we kept that form factor after when we released Polaris in 2017, when we released Loma Prieta in 2019. So they've evolved, but they're still kind of confined to the, the parameters that we've set for them. Um, you know, the, the key is obviously you change what the effect does. You change the knobs and you kind of change the finish color and the name. So like we've always got the same type of knobs you'll see on ours and we'll pick a color that we want to associate with that effect. So that kind of lather, rinse, repeat that form factor is there and it's, we're changing kind of everything else around it. Um, but it's cool that you say like you see it across a store and you can kind of tell even if it's blurry what it is. And I think that's kind of a testament to the thing. Absolutely. All right. I'm curious though, because you said like you wanted like the color and the design and everything to represent the effect. Like how did you decide that? Because I'm looking at like, it's weird because like the, the reverb you guys have, like the Daedalus is blue. And for some reason I always think reverbs are blue. (laughs) <laughs> like it just, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if it's like the boss pedal thing of like, they all had a color code or was there research on this? Just a mass <laughs> survey. Uh, so associating blue with reverb, I feel like it's kind of common and I'll blame Strymon for that with uh, the big, Oh, guy. there we go. That's a good, that's you a know, good one, when you yeah. start thinking of it, we don't really, we've never really talked about it. And at some point maybe we will do some type of, um, comprehensive like video and analysis on it, but we actually, I've kind of created this maybe for better or for worse. I've created a color spectrum to affect for our arsenal. Mm-hmm. So if you break the color spectrum up from the first half and the second half, we've associated those colors to effects. So anything that's like uh, black, pink, red, orange, yellow, those are always dynamic and gain based and anything that's green, blue, indigo, and violet, those are always modulation and time-based. So we've kind of associated some. It's not really something we've generally pointed out. I think once there's enough of a collection uh, of our effects, it might be something that's, like, better to point out, if you will. So, like, say in the chamber, we had, like, an overdrive in the chamber. We'd probably keep it something neutral, like black, white, or we do something in the red, pink, orange, yellow vein. Like, generally you're not going to see green in an overdrive and you're not going to see a delay in red. Now these are the parameters we've kind of set and we can kind of do whatever we want with it, but we've, we kind of thought it'd be fun to associate it with it. And going back again to Strymon up until recently where they did like the midnight finishes, you wouldn't see a certain pedal outside of its color. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't see you're 100% uh, a right. fl- a, like a flint in purple. You know what I mean? You wouldn't see like an L cap in blue. You know, obviously the exception to that rule is they had that midnight series that they were doing, but like same with like boss, you know what I mean? When you think of like the DS one and two, you think oranges and blacks. Like I think I've always gravitated towards that brand recognition and reliability there. And I think therein lies the reason for like my coloring. Interesting. That's a lot of thought that goes into your color. So you're kind of playing the, uh, the long-term game with your branding here with each pedal, right? For sure. It's definitely more of a long-term thing where we're trying to picture several units down the line, if you will, which for better, or for worse is, I, I think it's generally for the better for us to try to, 
we want to live in the moment when we're creating something, but at the same time, you have to have it work for the branding down the line. We try to do that. So, you know, it's like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this with the knob on the side and this has that? And it's like, that could be cool, but does it work in the thing? You know, it, it like, is it going to make sense with our products? Now, obviously there's outliers like the telegraph stutter. If you guys saw that, that we did from 2016 to right. 2020, mm-hmm. that was a much different thing, it, but it kind of, there are going to be those outliers. You know what I mean? When it, when it comes to utility effects, things of that nature, there's always going to be some type of exception there. But then inside of that, we try to create series. So our utility series generally is always a neutral color. Like it's a matte black or it's like a matte beige color. And it's very like utilitarian. So even if we've got something outside of its norm, we try to, you know, give it a category in life of its own, like our pick guards series. Those are stuff that like people recognize like, Oh, I saw that thing. It looks like a strat or it looks like a telly. We try to keep that again in its branding and the way we do things like that are we use familiar and traditional aspects. Like you're used to seeing like that butterscotch yellow. You're used to seeing fender colors. So we don't really do outside of fender colors. We don't really do that for those pedals. Like we wanted to have it live in its like origin colors and origin like, um, accessories if you will yeah well it's it's nice too because especially in that marketing world is having relatable items to your products you know you already kind of get a general sense visually from what it's going to do and then being able to you know see for yourself functionality wise yeah so we, we we definitely try to keep that conscious effort when we're creating something um we're working on a new series of pedals i had sent um Dylan, I sent you the press release for that, right? Yep. And yep. Um, we're tr- so we've got like a form factor established. We've got a layout. We've got general functionality and stuff. And essentially, that's a lather, rinse, repeat. However, we want to have fun with like the art and the powder finishes. And we get to do all that stuff. And that's a really fun aspect of it. Like just coming into the shop and being like, hey, let's pick powder swatches right now and get like a head count from people what they think would be cool. It's like, okay, hey, this one's really cool. That is a cool color, but we're not doing a modulation pedal. So we're going to probably keep red, orange, yellow type of thing. And again, you can make the argument that it boxes you in. I tend to live in the world of box yourself in and see how far you can expand inside the box, you know? So, but going back to like kind of the middle of the origin, I kind of left off around 2019. And so in the background in 2019, we were um, working on a project with third man records. They're down in Nashville. Um, it's Jack White's record company and all of the zany stuff that he does. And in 2020, we had launched uh, the Triple Graph, which was a collaboration um, between us and Third Man Records. So for the origins, that kind of brings you up to like from its origin in 2014, 2015 through 2020. That's quite a lot in six years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing that's interesting, you say it's a lot for those six years, we released three our first year and then a couple every year or so we haven't actually had like an official like new pedal come out since 2019. We did Loma Prieta in 2019. We did Captain Hook, which was a limited edition duet at the end of 19. Then triple came out. We discontinued the telegraph stutter. And for those two years, we felt like super backed up. Like we had so many ideas, but we had so many triple graphs on order and the demand was so huge and the reception had been so great that we kind of couldn't take 
the third man hat off to put on the CSP hat. So it was just kind of in the back burner working on ideas and kind of somewhat feeling frustrated that we couldn't get these to life because we were still doing the third man thing. But at the same time, it's like, I'm never mad that people are excited about triple or anything else. And it just, it's, we're finally coming to that point where we're getting through the tunnel and now we're going to be releasing some new things now that we've got a crew behind us and we've got the back order of triple grass finally coming to, um, a, a fun and nice finish, if you will, until more, obviously. I remember the day Dylan Dylan called me up saying, "Hey, there's a there's a batch of triple graph. Should I get one?" I'm like, "Absolutely." Yeah, <laughs> that was that was like it was a big day for me. Okay, but it was I'm a huge Jack White fan, and so obviously when you guys made the announcement, you know, between you and Third Man that you know this was a thing that came out, it was one of those things where I was like, "I'm always I've always been looking for something like that that packages that entire suite of octave sounds in one thing," you know. Um, and then it took me two years to wait till it was like in stock and I was quick enough to hit buy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's awesome that you snagged one. It's, it was, it's been received so well, which is really great. And, um, it's cool that like, it's kind of exciting and encouraging that, you know, they, it, they're having trouble keeping them stock. And it wasn't until like maybe this last batch that we sent out a few months ago where they still have a few in stock. I think it's like, man, so it took two years for it to kind of like even out to normal supply demand type of thing. And, and again, we're getting ready to go into a holiday season. So who knows that could ramp up again, but it's, it's kind of crazy to think that for two years, it's constantly people are waiting for the thing, you know, they're waiting for it and they're reaching out to us through email, through direct messaging and they're calling us and it's just really inspiring and encouraging. And it's, it's uh, it, it means a lot that you guys, really care about it and it's i appreciate that you picked one up as well yeah i mean it's it's like i said in the intro is one of my favorite pedals because i think it um it's one of those things where like at face value it's a jack white machine but then you start to play with it and figure out the controls and you know it's got that integrated effects loop and stuff like that and you can get really creative and do all sorts of crazy stuff with it um you know and i i you know, I'll put it with like some of my Chase Bliss stuff and turn the octaves on and start to kind of like create these soundscapes behind what I'm doing with the octaves and all. Like it's, it allows me to get really creative and, and it's really inspiring pedal. So I think that is. Um, and I'm super jealous every time yeah, I Christian likes to play with it. But it, it's, it's <laughs> something really special. It's, you know. And it looks yeah, cool it, too. Just the construction of it's like very unique compared to most things. Yeah, it's definitely an eye catcher. And even, even in their lineup, like the world of, you know, Jack's mind and everything that TMR has, like, you know, people always refer to it as like Willy Wonka for music type of thing. And it definitely, it definitely is the most third manny, if you will. And I think somebody said that to us before, like of all the third man pedals, like this one is the one that looks the most. It was also the only one in their lineup so far that was created from the ground up. Whereas the other collaborations between Mantic union tube and transistor, um, and the plasma from, um, game changer, like those were kind of Jack's takes in what he would like out of those pedals. Whereas the triple graph was a, from the ground up, um, original thing with our original idea with the telegraph. So obviously starting from scratch is a little different than kind of having the groundwork done and, Therein is why, you know, it took us four years to finish this thing. It just, it was a, 
it was big labor when it comes to the hardware style, uh, the hardware side of things like Mike had mentioned, um, just from an aesthetic point of view, but also functionality. Like it was a form and function had to really, you know, collaborate here. And the internal workings obviously had to be up to Jack's, uh, qualification, which was a very, very high bar to meet. And that was again, why it took so long. Cause you know, maybe a lot of listeners don't know he was the first person to ever record with an octave pedal in 2005. So like we had to kind of like live up to the person that's known for using that effect. Absolutely. So how did you guys get, end up getting hooked up with Jack White? Like, was that just kind of like a random chance or was it like a kind of a dream come true, I guess. Like you guys were like, please work with us. And then he saw your stuff and was like, yeah, absolutely. We're doing that. So, um, so actually, so the triple actually comes with a book that tells the entire story of this. So inside in the book, there's ended up being, I think 133 pages at the end of, at the end of everything. Um, so essentially the quick origin story of that goes, it was 2016 and we were going to summer NAM down in Nashville and we had, um, a booth and everything prepared there for the expo and going uh, before going down there. Um, one of the guys that works here said, do you want to go to third man and drop a pedal off for Jack? We had the telegraph stutter and I said, yeah, let's just make sure it's yellow. Cause that was kind of the motif for everything. You know, that was like mm-hmm. their style yeah. and whatnot. Again, another thing going back to color obsession. So we made that yellow one. We dropped it off at third man, left it with them at the front desk, went to Nam to do the booth. Um, and as you guys, if you've been or even seen videos and stuff, Nam can be kind of hectic, right? There's a lot going on at the show. And we had got a call on the company line from Ben Swank, who is now one of the co-owners of Third Man. And they called us saying that Jack got the pedal and he really liked it and he wanted to talk about a collaboration. We had an idea he wanted to pitch to us. So they were going to come down to the Nam floor. And I was like scrambling to find service because there was no bandwidth available at Nashville, like uh, with all course. the people on the floor, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm like running outside trying to find how to get a hold of them. And, um, we ended up meeting up. He had a picture. We actually, in the book, there's actually a picture that we snagged with a cell phone of the original drawing that Ben Swank had when he came that they Photoshopped like three of the yellow telegraphs. And that was kind of like the very first, like, um, you know, uh, proof of concept, if you will, you know, I mean, but just like a, a picture version of it, not a physical proof of concept. But from there, it just snowballed into, um, every year we'd go down to Nashville for the show and while in town, we would talk to them. So next year, 2017, we went down, we talked, we brought a prototype to them, um, on a different, um, different platform. It's not on the current, um, digital platform that we're currently working with. Um, Jack had tried it out. He had some reservations about certain qualities of the octave in regards to tracking and latency, things that can be inherently found in the platform that we were trying to work with. So we had to kind of go back to square one. Fortunately enough, a colleague of ours has a friend that works Western Digital. So we hooked up with him to do coding. And then we also got together with um, a person that lives here in Massachusetts, worked at analog devices um, to get together to do like the inside nerd stuff. So, kind of a long answer, but that is kind of the origins, literally just going down to Nashville and dropping it off at third man. It's awesome. I, I was reading that it was within like an hour that Jack white came up with the idea and he's like, I want the triple graph. Yeah, it was, it was kind of cool to just be down there and just like, you know, 
in the trenches, if you will, of NAM. And it was our very first show too. We were showing the Telegraph. It was the show that we got on the cover of Premier Guitar, which was a big deal for us to, you know, have a product as a small young company in this little six by eight booth. You know, looking back, we're like, man, what were we thinking on that design and on this and this and whatnot, and getting a call uh, or you know the proverbial call from them, and they got on the floor, and then it was just like started from there. Every year we came back with more. Um, By 2019, yeah, it was, um, yeah, we had the final prototype before we went to full production, February 2020, just before the start of lockdown. So we were down there in February of 2020. We brought the final to Jack. He ended up, I believe, keeping that one because he was going to do a recording session um, that day. But we had that final meeting, and then it was like, well, full steam ahead. Um, during lockdown and it was just like that, like we had a release date of September 28th. So timeline would be from February, 2020 to September of 2020 was when we had to make all of them, including the limited edition yellow that you guys may or may not have seen yeah. that we did. So we did a hundred of those too. The first time I saw it was at, uh, down in Nashville at TMR. Um, <laughs> it was October, 2020. So it was, it was practically brand new. I didn't realize that. And I, I remember playing yeah. with it. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I'm sending pictures to everyone. I'm like, look at this thing. It looks like unlike anything else. I just didn't realize it was it, that new. Yeah. So, yeah, it was when we were getting ready to deliver, um, what we did was two of us got into a van. We rented a van, like a huge, I think it was like a Chrysler Pacifica, something like that. It was luxurious. We were like soccer momming the whole way down. It was, it was a fun trip. We've made that trip so many times. Did you have that a DVD player the, in there? Uh, that makes a difference. Uh, right. Well, I think the whole trip actually, so we usually start our national trips around 4 a.m. so that we're driving while it's light out the whole time because it's about 18 hours from where we are. Um, so that drive like usually starts at 4 a.m. and we get down to Nashville sometime around 11 p.m. local time. We've done it so many times now. It's like, almost second nature, but usually this time actually going down there, we get in the car, we get off, we get everything loaded up. It's like four, four thirty, And I'm with Jordan. He does the design stuff here and he gets in the car. He opens up his laptop. He's like, all right, so let's start with some teasers. Let's start editing some pictures and photos and stuff for teasers for <laughs> triple because, because we went down there in September to deliver them. Like it was the middle of September. I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I want to say it was like only like a week or so before. So we, we loaded up, I think like two or 300 triple graphs into this like Chrysler wagon. You know, <laughs> the world was still early at its crazy figuring out how it was traversing itself. We loaded all those up. We drove 18 hours straight down there. We got like a hotel down I think it was down off Broadway, right on like off to Munbrian. And we just like, we essentially backed in to the third man. They like opened up the doors and we just backed in this soccer mom van and unloaded everything that day. What we ended up doing, one of my favorite parts of creating the book and in the story of the over, like the whole arc of triple graph was, so we were down there in September, 2020, right before the launch Jordan and I were driving around Nashville and we came up with the idea of trying to have them be teasers for what was coming out because we we're only a couple days away from the actual launch. And we, we, Jack at the very beginning was like, 
I want to do it with like, you know, he didn't want any press or any, didn't want any information about the thing before it came out. He didn't want people to have a chance to think about it or make up their minds a certain way until it comes out the day of, which is something he did with Consoles of the Lonely, his record from 2008 with the racks. So it was like, okay, cool. That's generally how the pedal world works. Everybody keep your trap shut. Nothing until you tease it and then it comes out, right? That's your, yeah. that's your like standard lather, rinse, repeat. So, so we were used to that, right? That's the world we live in. And so Jordan and I, what we did was, I think him or myself had mentioned to the other, Hey, let's drive around Nashville and get some pictures. And then we'll take those pictures. And then when we go back to the hotel, we'll make some dinner. And what we'll do is he would be editing the pictures. Him and I would in tandem be editing the pictures. We'd have pictures of Nashville and we would edit it down to using generally, I think if I go back, it's all black and white or it uses our, um, CMYK orange color and third man CMYK yellow color. And then the picture itself would have edits on it. So like we took a picture down in the rotary that's right outside of third man on seventh Ave South and we kept those colors in it. And then the rotary, you know, the symbol for a rotary kind of looks like the recycle symbol that's Mm -hmm. on triple graph in the middle key where you want to use the effects loop. So what we did was we took a picture of that and I think Jordan changed the name rotary to auxiliary. So because the triple graph, either you can do it in kill mode or you can do auxiliary send and return. So we did a ton of pictures like that where it was like um, teasers from the heart of Nashville where it kind of got its life from. And then we would edit it in the hotel room at night. We were watching Adam Sandler's Mr. Deeds on TV (laughs) (laughs) and just and just sitting in a hotel and just having some food and editing those pictures and working on stuff like remotely. I was on my phone doing stuff like that and kind of just getting an idea. And that was one of my favorite parts of the whole process is actually just kind of also the streets were pretty quiet because it was September. Like again, lockdown yeah. was still right in effect. So exactly. So mm-hmm. it was, it was uh, getting cooler and um, yeah, that's just kind of one of my favorite parts. It was just like, editing those pictures. And then when we left and got back on the road for another 18 hours home, we would just, Jordan would be editing photos. And I think it was when we were heading home that I had this idea of like, Hey Jordan, why don't you do a video for our socials where it's Morse code, but it's flashing all over the screen and like broken up. And the idea was to have people try to capture it with their phones on a screenshot and then translate the dits and dots. So they could get some teasers of what it was going to be. So kind That's of like a awesome. more, that's really so, cool. That's so smart. That's awesome. So, so we, what did it we, translate to? I wish I could remember what what they were. I, I can't remember exactly what it is. It, it would be fun to go back to. It was probably something very, like, not to give it away or anything. You know, it might have just been a release date. I wish I had that information. Um, but it was it was definitely um, it was. I guess one of the only good ideas I had for the teaser type stuff because Jordan handles all the digital stuff. <laughs> Teasers are always fun to uh, mess around with and think of. Yeah, because well, we we had been waiting on this for four years, and it was finally going to be launching. And for its campaign, if you will, I kind of did this exact thing like we're doing right now with podcasts. Like I called it my podcast book tour, and Jordan and I scheduled like eleven podcasters. And then I had to kind of schedule it out. Okay. Whose episode comes out on what date? And then just like, essentially you couldn't like not see it in like your feed. We were trying to just be that obsessive. It was just <laughs> everywhere. 
Yeah, kind of, you know, and I mean, it's that thing like people trying to get your attention, you know, for a few minutes nowadays on social media. And I think we did a pretty good job. It was, it was a really fun launch. It was, we kind of used the triple graph launch as a benchmark for a lot of stuff now going forward. Like, Hey, does this get the triple graph treatment? You know what I mean? I don't think anything will ever really be as big as that thing for us. And it's cool that it's still going. So it's like, we're still living in it. It still feels like it's so new. It's crazy. that It's been two years, a couple weeks ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of, I guess from the start to the finish, if you will. And like I said, anybody listening that hasn't read it or if they're going to pick one up, there's a book in there that's a hundred, 30 something pages. We started it at 50 cause we went down to Nashville and we had a binder of pictures and we were showing it to them down there at one of our meetings. We were like, Hey, we think it'd be cool to do the limited edition with this book. It shows the whole process start to finish how we manufactured it, how we got the angles of the metal, like some of the source code, like snippets of that. And they were so excited about the book that they were like, we got to do it in every one. So we yeah. did that book and we did the book in every single one. Um, if you go back to your book, you, Dylan, you said you have one I do. in the I, book. It's in the book itself. Um, certain pages will have Morse code hidden in it. And if you dissect the Morse code or translate it, I should say, it'll tell you extra information about that picture. Oh, we're going to be here all Yeah, night. I'm yeah. going to definitely do that so, as soon as we hang up with you. <laughs> Dylan's not going to work tomorrow. Yeah, no, I mean, that's <laughs> honestly, the book was such a cool touch because I think it's it's one of those things that's kind of, you know, you spend all this money on, on new gear and mm-hmm. sometimes it just feels like gear where like when I bought the triple graph and I, you know, got the book in it and everything like that and I was able to flip through the book as I was hooking up my, you know, rewiring my pedal board and it's just like, like, almost an experience of like, wow, this is like such a special product of like, there's this whole story behind it. And it was more like know. opening an event. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. It's tactile. Yeah. Instead of just being like, Oh cool. I got a pedal inside of a cardboard box and like, that's it. There's something else to it. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, um, you know, the phrase we were talking about, like having our third man hat on or having our CSP hat on, like we had to be both those people for four years straight and there were weeks where we were just us and there were weeks where we were in the trenches and doing third man stuff and getting on video chats and emailing back and forth and finding production problems and all that type of stuff. Um, but when I say put the third man hat on, usually like if I give an example, it'd be like, okay, well if Jack white did this, what would he do for the packaging for this type of thing? Or how would he do this? How would he do that? And we, we try to keep those aspects in mind when we were creating this. So like I said, with the hidden Morse code, Jack really liked that, you know? Um, so inside the box, what, what we did was we made sure to go down there generally with our a game. Like we would bring the box down, Jordan would design the box and then we would design, Hey, what should we do for the front heel back heel this side? When we open it, what should this be? And we came up with a ton of ideas. So what we did was we printed them out, we laminated them, we cut them down and then we put Velcro on the box and on the thing so that in real time, Jack could put, different fronts on it, different sides on it, and see, Oh, I like this one with this on the side. I like this with this in the back, you know, that type of thing. And just kind of workshop it. And Mike, like you said, like, it's not just like a square pedal in a box, like, you know, granted the pedal has a really cool appeal to it, but the book and the first hundred got a certificate that Jack signed, uh, which was a really fun thing for us to do. Like the first 100 limited Jack would actually sign a certificate of authenticity, which, 
That's pretty bad. It's a nice, it's a nice <laughs> little touch. You know, it's, it's got that tangibility. There's, mm-hmm. there's something more than just the product there and you kind of see the story and it's really cool that they were so excited about the book that they wanted to do it in every one. They thought it was too cool to just be in the limited. They, Cause third man's all about the story. You know, if you ever get to go Absolutely. there and yeah. if you, if you, you know, we've been super like privileged to be able to go in the back room, to be able to go into Jack's office, to go, all these places like the warehouse floor and they tell us the stories about stuff. And it's like, if you don't tell the story, there's no way for that to live on. And, you know, we kind of took that in internalized and then like created it into what you saw before you with the book, you know, and hiding stuff inside of it. We thought it was a very Jack thing. You know what I mean? He was, he was known for hiding records in his upholstery. He was known for doing all these like cool things in vinyl that no one's ever done. So he doesn't like make I it said, easy. When I, <laughs> yeah. So like I said, when I say the third man had, it's kind of like, what would Jack do if he was running this? And that's kind of what we did. Well, it's funny. Cause I never made that connection until we're having this conversation, but like, yeah, like if a normal pedal is Spotify, like the triple graph was, you know, pulling a new vinyl out of the sleeve and setting it on the turntable, you know, it was like a whole experience rather than just like, Oh cool. I got this thing, pull it out of the box, you know? Yeah. And, and experience, I guess, is like a, like, that is part of it. You know, like, it's cool that you say it's an experience. I remember when we were sending videos out to some demoers, Pete Thorne in specific, we had sent it out and we were like, hey, Pete, could you do an unboxing in this? And he, in his video, he even talked about he hates doing unboxing videos. You know, he's not into it. And then, (laughs) and then when he, then when he got it, he said he understood why we wanted you to kind of show the unboxing aspect, you know, because of the book, because of, the um, trifold um, user manual, which again, trying to keep the third man branding, Jack does everything in threes. So we kept a trifold instead of just a regular like folded card for the info card. So keeping in that mindset, you know, we thought it would be cool for people to see. And it is really cool that um, people like yourself have kind of been excited about packaging and stuff. You know, we're very fortunate in this industry that it's like, it's not a cereal box. You're not going to throw it out. A lot of people keep it and they like that. Yeah, well, that's a big thing, kind of. I mean, it's the same thing with people with vinyl. Like, you get to see the artwork. The inner sleeve sometimes has the lyrics or band photos that you would probably never see on the internet. There's, like, something to it rather than just getting music. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. There's the tangibility thing there. And, again, that's why it's no surprise that they've, you know, they've been the reason that vinyls come back. They've created pressing plants and jobs just for vinyl alone. And mm-hmm. that tangibility and you know, doing stuff with vinyl that no one's ever done. Like, yeah, you, you see something on like Spotify, you don't really get like that um, engagement or excitement when you open up like a vinyl that's like 180 gram and it's got like a gatefold to it. And you can see the time and effort that they put into this mm-hmm. physical media, you know, whereas a download is great for the car and stuff, but also having the physical thing is a really cool aspect of it. And you can see like, the generally you can see a lot of thought process behind stuff or why they did it, or even if it's just, it looked really cool, you know, in in, in the triple graph book to go back to that quickly, what we did was we artistically put stuff on top of pictures. So if we had a picture of something like a bench shot of one of the pieces of the hardware of triple graph, I would then have something like Jordan go and find the actual tech drawing that the machinist would do for us with all the parts and dimensions and spec. And I would have him put that over the book picture itself. So you'd kind of see this artistic image coming across. So it's not just like a 
pristine, crystal clear picture. There'd be an artistic rhyme and reason to it. You know, we color coded stuff like the text bubbles generally were color coded to what was going on. So when Jack was on tour with the Raconteurs in 2019, any dialogue bubbles in the book were in the CMYK color of the Raconteurs, which is either copper or green. So we tried to make those conscious efforts there. If it was something based around third man, we would do it in yellow. So that type of stuff. So if you look over the book again, it might be a fun second experience. And we kept a, um, there's a Morse code translator in the very front of it, Dylan, so that you can kind of know that I gotta, I gotta go look at that again. Yeah. So if you look at it, there is the Morse code thing there so that you can actually have a reference and you can, um, dissect or, um, translate what the Morse code is on, on, um, the pages. Got some homework to do, buddy. Crack some beers, boys. We're going to be here a long time. (laughs) Well, it's funny. The first time he opened it, it was a whole experience and everything. And adding all these little things that you're, you're telling us is kind of going to reopen that whole feeling again. Yeah. Dylan, Dylan, put it back in the box and we'll reopen it. Yeah. We'll We'll start. We'll do it all. We'll do it the right way. We'll do it the right way. Now that we know everything. But I think, I think one of the things I love about what you guys do is like the, the thought behind stuff, like even um, your tremolo, which has been on my, my list for a while, the Loma Prieta, like the name itself is after like a historically significant earthquake. And like, I never put two and two together until researching like, why is it called this and whatever. And being like, Mm -hmm. that's such a cool name for a tremolo because you kind of get that, like, you know, you get that like, like a tremor. Yeah. Like, like, man, that's like such a genius name for a tremolo. Like it's subtle, but it's just like, it's brilliant. I love it. Like how much thought is behind something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you picked up on that and like kind of looked into it and to go on, um, one step further here as well, Dylan, um, Loma Prieta itself translates to gritty Hills, which we thought Hills as in up and down tremolo. Oh my God. It gets better and better. I got to buy one now. (laughs) Yeah. So like, so Christian, like you were saying, like what comes into the process of like naming it and then the colors and stuff behind it. Generally there's a reason it's not like a dart at the wall and that type of thing. Like we have, generally something planned for it. So the fact that it means gritty Hills, you know, it's an earthquake and stuff. We try to try to homage that and, um, mention the history behind something, you know, again, that's the kind of having the third man hat on, if you will. Well, if you guys, you know, take that much time into having the name and graphics and color, you know, you've obviously put that quality inside of the unit itself. Yeah, for sure. That you know, obviously, as much time as we spend on the outside, we try to make the inside as good as well. I mean, if you were to open Loma Prieta, um, most of the capacitors in there are red. The circuit board is red. So the daughter <laughs> board is red. Wow! So it matches the outside. But that's just an obsessive nature of myself. So I love it. I think. Yeah, it, this is. That's I think awesome. amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna have to buy one and open it up now. That's... So you're basically the Steve Jobs of pedals. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you that you guys noticed that stuff yeah <laughs> but, yeah uh, i don't know are we are we in the minority but i love like every time i get a pedal like i'll open it up i won't touch anything inside because i'll break it but like i i appreciate like you know um some of the stuff that like btronics does with the crazy circuit boards or something like like you said where it's all uniform right it's red on the inside it all matches and it's nice and neat 
Now that I think of it, I've opened up pedals just out of curiosity. Exactly. Yeah. Are we in the minority on that? Or? I don't think so. I well, think it's no? probably everyone. Okay, good. Well, it's just kind of cool because sometimes the wiring is like they're all even and they're like routed correctly. You're just like, oh, it's like very pleasing to look at. Well, it tells you a lot. Is it a bird's nest in there or is it everything <laughs> yeah. thought Did they out? take the time to, you know. Right. Route it, yeah. Route yeah, the make wire. it look pretty inside. It's really no different than if, if you were to like remove guitar nerd and opening pedals to person that's really into cars and opening the hood, you know, like I guess why is our, sense, yeah. why is our thing? Why is our thing weird? Like it's it, all it is is appreciating art. You know what I mean? Only art we get, we, have, we just look inside of it, but yeah, people wouldn't spend that much time on it generally if, you know, people didn't care outside of themselves too. And yeah, we definitely try to match stuff. And, you know, I don't recall, I'm sure there was somebody before me, but like when Dalos came out, you only when you see when you think when you guys think of a circuit board, you're probably thinking of the color green, right? Yeah. Generally, generally speaking, yeah. and we did ours in in 2016 when we did Daedalus. The outside was blue. The resistors and capacitors were blue. The circuit board was blue, and the daughter boards and the wire were blue. So I kind of thought that was a nice, fun touch to do. And then we kind of copied that over with things going forward, like. In Polaris, everything's violet, you know. So oh, that's gonna be just a cool like a circuit board color. <laughs> that's awesome. We gotta go to CME and just be like, can we open up all the copper sound pedals? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sure they'll be fine with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're not against colors. I mean, they have that orange color, you know. Yeah. Yeah. When you think when you think about CME, you're gonna think about the orange color. We actually have an exclusive flashlight through them, of all things. I've you seen that see. before. Yeah. Did you say flashlight? Yeah, Jordan. Yeah, flashlight. Jordan created a, a a guitar headstock in the shape of Illinois with the tuning pegs. So it looks like a guitar headstock, and it's got the six tuning pegs, and it says CME in it. I want that. Wow, I never I never heard about that. Yeah, of all of all things to be exclusive with of all places, it's a flashlight. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's the same. It's that kind of thing that gets people talking about Copper Sound and like, hey, check out this really weird but really cool thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people are kind of into that, like, utility stuff that we do, but whether it's the flashlights or the desk lights or any of our other utility things. Like, Telegraph, for some people, was kind of quirky or gimmicky, but, you know, a lot of people liked them, and it kind of put us on the map, and, again, it got us the, the third man thing. So we're not upset about that, but. it's It seems almost like it was a, a blessing and a curse, like a blessing because, obviously, it's great business, but curse because, it took you what two years now to start ramping up on production on other new stuff. Yeah. Kind of two years of stuff in the chamber. I will say the one thing though, now that we've seen how the duet series in our utility series and our pickguard series have kind of like culminated together and kept its own identity and its branding and its form factor and everything. We have two new series of pedals coming out. One that we're going to talk about with you guys here on the show, the first, first show to, talk about it. And then we have another series as well at some point next year. The one benefit of that is that we get to sit back. Like when we were doing the duet series, like Daedalus started and it, whether we wanted to or not, we realized it's, it, it laid the foundation and everything else followed after and changed slightly. Now knowing that like, Oh, you look back, you look at all the duet series, you can tell it's in a family. We're going to do two new lines of pedals um, to accompany the duet series. And these two new lines are going to be different form factors, different styles, but still going to be uh, CSP style. Um, so we're actually able to sit back in the chair, if you will, and um, we can actually put up our hypothetical models 
We're like, oh, it'd be cool if we do this, this, and this. And Jordan's already started artwork and stuff around it. We can figure out colors. We can figure out branding. We can figure out names and then make it all look good before we even start the first one. You know, so we've got, we have art, colors, and knob layouts and stuff for the first, like, five or six in each of these series, but we haven't even got one out the, out of the gate yet. So it's kind of a nice luxury to kind of, if you will, be backed up and we can really make this conscious effort like we always strive to do. So everything's going to be in line with each other. It's going to be a, a good... Uh, cohesive. cohesive. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the word we were word. looking for. Yeah, there okay, <laughs> there you go. So like a cohesive series. So um, it's kind of nice having that time then, it seems like, to kind of yeah, focus on I, I the get, details. Yeah, like you said, if you will, the colloquial blasting curse, like you feel, we felt fortunate enough that we had Triple Graph was so popular, but we felt backed up. That's kind of my word. I feel like frustrated. I can't get the stuff out because we're so busy. But again, never frustrated that people like our thing and really want more of it from us. So now that we've had the time of like, okay, well, we've got to work in the background with these new things. Well, we have a ton of ideas because the well never runs dry here. So, hey, can you mock up what this would be like? Okay, let me do that. Now, I also have the idea for this. Now, I'm not going to start it, but I think it'd be cool if we did this with this color. Okay, let me start it. And now it gets to the point where we've got like five or six of these models under the same series that we're going to be doing. And we haven't released one yet, but we can see how it's going to be foreshadowed down the line. And this helps us a lot to establish a form factor. Are we using fonts are we using labels are we using both where's jacks going are we doing expression on this how's the switching system what's the layout like we've got a template now for our enclosure and we have a template for the certain aspects of our circuit board you know so we're able to copy those over instead of starting from scratch with a new thing but um yeah i definitely like to start talking about some of those new stuff with you guys sent over um, some information with yeah absolutely that's a perfect segue is, you know, you sent us over a couple of the new things like the, um, the new renegade uses the, the fuzz, but it's in a smaller footprint than, um, your usual kind of thing. What, what led you guys to kind of doing the smaller footprint, uh, more compact pedals? I think, <clears throat> I think it was probably, I'm trying to think how we started because it seems like right now all we're talking about is the new mini series. Um, cause we've got two coming out that we're going to talk about and we already have two to three more in the chamber for the beginning of next year. I want to say it started with, I think honestly the catalyst was we were, we ran out of enclosures for gravity bomb and we thought it'd be time to discontinue gravity bomb and it could be fun to do another version. Cause that was our, one of our very first pedals ever. So in doing so, <clears throat> Jordan and I sat down and we were working out on a layout for the miniseries to revamp it, um, to change up a little bit of things like from a manufacturing standpoint, not using wire and doing everything on board, um, being able to fit a toggle switch because originally our mini pedals just had one knob and LED. So in doing so, I actually had a custom enclosure made for this. It looks very run-of-the-mill. You won't be able to tell unless it's at its side. But it's essentially, for anybody listening, um, the form factor that Dylan was mentioning was 1590A, which is, think of like a ditto, right? Or your Polytune Mini, that mm -hmm. size of, right. that's probably a very relatable thing for a lot of people. Or even the EP Booster. And the EP Booster is a better one to, to use because that one is the same size, however, it's deeper. 
Hmm. Interesting. So we went that route uh, again for the two reasons are one, we can fit more. And the second reason is that it's taller and is the same like profile as all of our other things. So if you put it next to our pickguard series and next to our duet stuff, it's taller. It's not a really small pedal. So in doing that, Jordan and I got the layout and everything. And the first thing that we started doing was Renegade. So I had sent that over to you in a press release. So Renegade is this like full bodied intense fuzz that we're um, coming out of the gate with. Cause for a company that's been around a while and somewhat established with the exception of the captain hook limited edition we did in 2019, we don't have any fuzz in our lineup. Like when I started the company, I thought it'd be cooler to not just do overdrive distortion fuzzes and boosts and stuff like that. And we started with like, um, reverb, you know what I mean? And then after we did Foxcatcher, we quickly went to Polaris, which is vibrato and chorus. And then we did Loma Prieta, which is harmonic tremolo and traditional tremolo with grit. And like the world of gain is very crowded at the bottom. The world of stuff like, um, clean octave, like triple, um, really great analog delays. There's a lot less competition in that realm, if you will. There's a lot of people that make so many good fuzz pedals, so many good overdrive pedals that I thought it'd be cooler to not do those. So coming back to it now, we were like, maybe it's time now for us to do some, some gain pedals. So we were sitting on this, um, fuzz pedal that I had made Jordan as a gift back in 2014. I made this like tone bender style pedal. And I think I screwed something up when I was making it cause it had this like sizzle to it. So when the note would decay, you would start getting this like Jacob's ladder sizzle on the decay. <clears throat> and since 2014, I've been trying to replicate that and I n- never could, I put it away and I'd come back to it. Then I put it away and come back to it. And then one day I was like, I had Jordan's in the shop. I think I have it somewhere here. I could show you guys on, on screen at least. And I had it here and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get the circuit and I'm going to put in a breadboard and I'm going to get my meter out and I'm going to measure all the stuff. And it pretty much sounded as close as I've ever been able to get it. And that was just kind of like the kick off the um, blocks, if you will, to start doing this. And we tweaked it a bit. Um, generally our pedals go through a live and a studio aspect practice, like just to see um, how they are in both those aspects. And, um, Renegade we found was a really good, just like full bodied fuzz style thing. It's in the tone bender MK 1.5. Uh, you can think of it as like a fuzz face style thing too. Okay. So many people make fuzz faces. It's each person's is a little different. And this is our take on it with again, that sizzle that you hear in the decay of notes. Um, you can see in the picture and in the press release, other than having a fuzz knob, there's a toggle switch for bias. So in the up position is it's like full stock fuzz sound where you will get a little bit of that sizzle decay. But then when the bias is in the down position, it starves the circuit in a certain way that you're more likely to get that, that fizzled out. Maybe think of more something like muse or like a more modern gated. Okay. Very cool. Style fuzz. Okay. Uh, Cause I was so curious so when I was reading this, I was like, Oh, that electric sizzle. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> it sounds so love badass. Some electric sizzle. I was like, yeah, I was like, that sounds awesome. Especially in a fuzz pedal. Like hell yeah. Well, there's yeah. Something. So that, that's kind of just like, we, we went with that, like 
trying to recreate that sizzle. I, we didn't get it a hundred percent because again, I think the original one I made Jordan, I called it the Tesla fuzz because it, it like made me think of something Nikolai Tesla would do. And we were never able to create it completely because I think it's broken in a way, but we made this broken in a way that it's reliable constantly. But we generally want, we didn't want it to be so out there that it was a one trick pony. So we had to do that bias toggle on it. And, um, that's kind of, that's kind of how it came about. And I had been sitting on the name renegade for years. I try to keep a, um, catalog in my phone of names randomly. If I think of it driving or whatever, and I had the name Renegade and I thought it was kind of a cool name for a fuzz that was kind of intense, you know? And again, as you guys see on your screen, it's orange, right? Because it's in the gain family. So pink, red, orange, yellow. Well, then I thought it was interesting too, that um, on the release you sent us that it, it goes up to 18 too. So you, you kind of have that other 18 volts that is for our non musician listeners. Um, kind of have that option of going like more headroom more clarity or you go down to nine and you get that <laughs> gated sizzle you know like that's that's a really cool um i think an underrated way that a lot of pedal builders kind of miss like that's a really cool way you can adjust the way your pedal sounds yeah and a lot of our stuff especially like gain a lot of our stuff goes to 18 volts um fox catcher gravity bomb like a lot of those things do that. Um, part of me does that just for the fact that it can, as long as it sounds good and everything in the circuit can handle that voltage. The other thing is, I think the reason I gravitate towards it, and I think some people appreciate it. If you don't care about it, just plug in nine, do your thing. Um, on the side, I set up pedal boards for musicians that are from the area. They, you know, that are live musicians. And I set up pedal boards for them. There's a lot of, um, power supply manufacturers out there that are really good, you know, like your voodoo lab, your true tone, your chalks, your all that type of stuff. And a lot of them have one outlet oftentimes that is dedicated only to 18. And mm -hmm. if you only yep. have nine volt pedals, that one feels wasted. And maybe part of me in the back of my head is like, Oh man, that'd be perfect. If you have gravity bomb, it's like, Oh man, I only have my 18. Oh, but this one takes 18. So I guess I didn't, this isn't a, it's like, so That's fantastic. Like I love you, that you, maximize every slot. <laughs> exactly. So if you, if you got a power supply, that's eight of them, right. And one of them's 18 volt only, you have a seven spot power supply. If you don't have it kind of like if you get like a pedal, pedal power supply, it's like seven slots. And then one of them is like AC reverse polarity, 24 volt thing to power some ridiculous thing. It's cool that they gave you that. But for the average player, you don't have a thing now. And I thought that would facilitate like, oh, cool. These are 18. I can try it. Or the aspect of the curiosity, the player that's like, huh, I wonder what it would be like. I didn't even realize it does 9 to 18. And those are kind of the two aspects. I think really, though, the main one is, hey, if you've got a power supply that does 18 only on one of them, plug it in. That's awesome because for years I had I had one of the True Tone, uh, I don't remember which model it was, but, yeah, it was an 8 spot with a – 18 volt, yes. 500 milliamp. And I'm like, the fuck do I do with this? <laughs> like, it was probably the CS7, yeah, right? That's Maybe it. it was the uh -huh. CS7. So it's like, that's a great power supply. And they gave you something that has high current type of thing. Like it's cool. And they give you like 500, right? 500 milliamp. Cause triple does 250. Your stuff like your Strymon timeline and stuff, right? Those take high draw. And that's cool. However, a pedal 
like Renegade takes like five to 15 milliamps, right? It's almost nothing. I think if I breathe in this microphone, it's a milliamp, right? That type <laughs> of ridiculousness. It's, it's not, but, um, but then you get stuff that takes high current. However, if you plug in Renegade with 200 milliamps, it's only going to pull what it needs. So if you give us extra, that's fine. But if you give it an outlet, that's only 18 and all your stuff is regular nine. That's where some of our stuff comes in where it's like, Oh, I guess I can use this one on there now. So a lot of people would probably think of this as being very techy, very, you know, establishing all your bases. I think of it as being very thoughtful because power supplies are really hard to uh, get along with sometimes. I just yeah. had this issue. Dylan just gave me his uh, power supply last week because I ran out of spots. I have stupid Ottawa with a 24 volt. So there's an extension <laughs> cable inside my pedal board just for that one thing. <laughs> It's just, it's a mess. The most random collection of shit. Yeah. Uh, seriously. <laughs> but one pedal that can kind of take anything is, <laughs> is a nice, thoughtful way of doing it. I definitely will say, go, to echo on that, I definitely have sympathy for the supply, power supply manufacturers, like trying to facilitate needs for everybody. It's not possible to do it. Because, I mean, you think about, all you have to do is have a whammy, and now it doesn't work. Because the whammy is ridiculous. Like, the whammy takes so much juice. Had, like you essentially need to plug a one spot into the back of like a pedal power two, And there's stuff that has reverse polarity and all that type of stuff. So you can never please everybody. So I definitely throwing out some sympathy to the pedal manufacturers. I do think that true tone, the CS 12 and the pedal power plus three from voodoo lab are some of the best ones on the market, but I don't know us doing our pedals that can do nine to 18. I thought that was just kind of like a little nod to like, Hey, you can do it even if you've got these power supplies. Well, and it's genius because it's like, no, no, don't buy a new power supply. Just buy a Copper Sounds pedal. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's way cheaper. You got an empty spot on that power supply? We got you. Yeah, we got you. <laughs> no, you've got that one spot open on your board and that one 18-volt slot on your power supply. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're sad in black and white, and now you're happy in color. It's the perfect commercial. <laughs> well, and, it's interesting because – oh, sorry – I was going to say it's interesting, though, because I uh, have two things. I have too much open space and not enough fuzzes on my pedal board. So, you know. Well, yeah, we wanted, like like I had mentioned prior, we never did fuzz, really. Like, so many people do really great fuzz, and this is us throwing our hat in there. This one definitely lives in the world of it could be a higher gain distortion or a fuzz. It kind of bridges that gap or that line right around there. But, um, yeah, we thought it would be cool to have something gain in our, repertoire and we're generally not the type of people that are like what if we do a game like what if we just do a fuzz let's, let's let's throw out a fuzz like let's shit something out and because the market wants that and like we try to make more of a conscious effort you know i always worry about the word just in a sentence um because i feel like there can often be a lot of baggage with that in the negative you know it's like we're working on something it's like oh man we just have not got like the name for this down or whatever. What if we just blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the, the word just a lot of times has this baggage of a, let's just put something on it type of thing. And just means I you're settling. Yeah. And, and, and obviously inspiring things can be like, what if we just blah, blah, blah. And then this person has a knowledge of something greater than most people. And it seems mundane to them. But to us as outsiders, like, holy shit, that's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But again, in its regular colloquial connotation, I feel like there's, you know, like you said, 
Christian. It's like a settling. Oh, what if we just slap yeah. this on it and call it a day? Compromise. And we're yeah. Right. And, and again, a compromise can be a good thing because that's working in a, a collaborative element. But um, yeah, it's not something they want to just like, what don't we have in our lineup? Make it, make it cheap. Let's go next. You know what I mean? Like we, we want to try to like, this is art that we get to create every day and we get to obsess over the box and the kerning of the font. And we get to just like obsess over the serif and like all this type of stuff. So it's like, we're not just going to do this. Like, Oh yeah, throw it out there, whatever curry or new, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know? Um, so we get obsessive over those details and I'll get stuff like <clears throat> middle of the night. I'll get a screenshot of five fonts from Jordan and if you look at it at a glance, did you just send me the same picture five times? But it's like, oh no, this one has a, this one's got a different kerning. This one has a slightly different serif on the E. It's like, and we obsess over those factors. And maybe that obsession is part of why third man's really enjoyed working with us because that attention to detail and you can see like it's gone into it. So this wasn't an exception, like any exception when we did renegade the first of the new mini series, like we really sat down I had like 50 swatches of oranges that we wanted to do with it. And we gave everybody, Hey, you got five votes. What's your top one through five. And then we calculate them. And then we put them into like a group and we see, Oh, this one was the clear winner for this one. This, in this instance, the color we chose was actually the one that we originally started with, but we want to see if anybody can beat it. So we had that idea down and like, you know, the, the font and stuff usually starts somewhere, then gets changed. And we made that conscious effort of like, what we're going to do. Um, going back to my discussion of like, these are in a different form factor. Like we've never really done minis before. If you guys remember our gravity bomb V one, that one had an older, um, 1470 is the name of the knob. It, if you want to think about it, it looks like a memory man or the big muff or the clon centaur, that style knob. Okay. And for, for this one, Jordan pressed us in a good way of like, Hey, let's make it with our metal knobs. So, going back to what Dylan was saying, like you always tell like Fox catcher and whatnot, it's got those classy metal knobs. So we did that with, um, renegade. We made sure to keep it in the family, that version, you know? Um, and yeah, we just obsessed over all the little things like the bias logo that took, took a long ass time to come up with. Like, because I'll usually go into the office and you're gonna be like, so how do we represent what this thing is doing with a couple shapes? You know what I mean? You really, you're not going to get everybody, but yeah, that's, um, that's it, super it, cool looking. <laughs> that's it's essentially the idea was in the up position on bias, it's more rounded and open, and in the down position, it's a little bit sharper. And again, it's hard to not associate the like electricity or the like the um, lightning thing with like that type mm-hmm. of. I was saying it has a sizzle and like a a certain electrical element to it, so we obsess over those things constantly. Sometimes they're happy accidents. Sometimes they're very carefully thought out. Like the reason we do stuff, you know, going back to the triple graph book and going back to the color spectrum thing that I've like a drill sergeant obsessively like put in our heads, you know, like that type of stuff. So we definitely bring it to the next level when it comes to any type of release. Well, and that totally comes through, you know, like the, you talk about obsessing over fonts and colors and j- even just the logos for like, what does this switch do? Like aesthetically it's super pleasing, but I think like that obsession comes through in every aspect of the pedal, you know, everything that I've ever played from you guys. And, uh, obviously I want to 
own more and more of the stuff you guys put out, but like everything that I played from you guys really has that um, just kind of feel to it where it's like, you know, somebody cared enough to obsess about this. Um, like every detail. Yeah. yeah like yeah, like how the knob turns. Is it stiff? Is it way too loose? Like does the button press down like with a satisfying click and you know for sure if the lights, you know, you can't see the light, like it's on or it's off. Like you clicked on it, like those things you can kind of tell. Yeah, it, it's cool that that translates to some people. Others are going to plug it in and just play the thing, and that's fine too. Those those people are going to create art with it, and it's cool that you guys see those things that we like obsess over. You're not going to get everything because sometimes we do stuff for us, kind of like a musician adding in that extra beat at the very end for them, right? Musicians' music, and maybe yeah. the general populace doesn't care about that, but sometimes we do stuff for us, and other times it's like we just try to be smart, like you said, You've got input, output, and power. So this thing can do at 18. Why don't we remark that? Why don't we tell people, try it at 18. Do this type of thing, you know? Like, if it's got the capability, why not? You know, don't just throw a 9 volt and call it a day. Now, if it doesn't matter or there's a, uh, a design element behind it, that's different. But um, we did that, and we even carried over the 918 to the other release that we're going to be doing. Next I was month, or this just month, gonna actually. say I want to talk to you about the uh, the new gravity bomb because you guys had the the V one right that was just the knob. Um, mm -hmm. The new one's got a, a toggle for different mid ranges, um, and I love that you can toggle because like most boosts are just like here's a knob, have fun. But I <laughs> I love being able to like tweak every little aspect of my sound. So having that that mid toggle is super cool. But can you? give us kind of a rundown of like what the different options kind of do like to you. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. Cause gravity bomb has always been kind of like people that get it really like it. You know, we came out with it in 2016 and it was only 89 bucks and the world that it lived in at the time when it came out, I think why I did it this way was for twofold. The first one was, I think it was reactionary. Just like Daedalus, when Daedalus was coming out in 2016, the world was into the spin FB1 platform. You'd seen it in a lot of Jamie's stuff over at Earthquaker. You saw it in Matthew's Effects stuff. You saw it in, in um, Alexander Pedals. And it was this chipset that was a reverb that you could do all these crazy octave delays, swelled delays, different type of um, shimmer delays and stuff like that. And everybody was using this chip. And I... I think it had a reactionary element where when I was doing Daedalus, I wanted to do it with an actual like tank, like a small black tank that you would see. It's usually referred to as a tank. It's got electronics obviously inside of it to create the reverb, but it gives it a different sound and flavor. So there was that reactionary thing. And I think I followed that up in 2016 with gravity bomb. Everybody was doing transistor based, um, boost you saw the ep booster like you couldn't stop that thing people were huge onto the ep booster people really liked um zvex's super hard on that was mosfet based and everybody was doing transistor based things um which oftentimes have their own flavor very amp responsive and they're really cool i went kind of reactionary and i wanted to base mine around mxr's microamp so the first part was like i mentioned that reactionary element the second part was that is one of the staple pieces of Jack's gear on all of his bands. He has a microamp going into big muff and then a whammy or a pog. And again, white stripes only did stuff in red and white. So it made sense that he had the yeah. microamp. 
So I, I wanted to do the micro amp because it was op amp based. So it had a, it had a integrated circuit there as opposed to a standalone JFET or a MOSFET or a BJT. Um, and that reactionary thing ended up being what came out as gravity bomb. It was originally, it had a form back in the day of smoke monster, um, which was like a short lived run of stuff before I kind of figured out what was going on. But then we put it into an enclosure with gravity bomb. The name actually comes from a weapon that you could use in the PlayStation two video game, ratchet and clank. If you guys have ever yes. known about that game. <laughs> so that was a, a, re- a really fun Love game it. that I used to play back in the day. So that, that came from that. And um, yeah, like you said, um, Dylan, it was just a single knob for volume. And when we were approaching doing a gravity bomb V2, essentially we discontinued the first one, took what we learned from it. People really liked it. And the ones that got it, it had a great price, great selling point and very simple to use. And just, it was super clean, right? There's no, there's no frequency change anywhere. And we've put this on a scope and we've put it into a simulator. There's no EQ change when you put gravity bomb on, um, at least in the spectrum that the human ear can hear. There's like maybe a couple dB past 20 K and whatnot, but that's going to be like overtones and harmonics. So when we were approaching gravity bomb V2, I remember I had it on a breadboard and I was driving one of my colleagues home and I said to them, it's like, so one of my colleagues, they're a bassist. And I was mentioning, I was like, so I'm working on gravity bomb V2. What do you think about bass boost? Because I said to them, I don't want to do treble boost because we already have Broadway. That's a germanium treble booster. And there's a ton of people doing treble boosters. And those are really cool. I didn't want to do it. What do you think about a bass boost? Would that be cool? And they said to me, I think mids would be really cool. You never see mids. And I'm like, you know, come to think of it. Think of like a boost pedal. And how often is there mids on it? You know what I mean? It's usually treble or bass or just a generic EQ, which is most likely a passive high pass filter or a low pass filter. So I was like, Oh, that'd be really cool. Let's do, let's do mids. So I started breadboarding it. I created a circuit for it. And I was like, I think it'd be really cool if you could still keep gravity bombs, original flat EQ in the middle. So if you guys look at gravity bomb on your screen, you'll see that there's a, excuse me, a three way toggle. So you can go up, down or in the middle, in the middle, you get the original unaltered EQ from gravity bomb, which is completely flat. In the down position, it's 750 hertz active. And in the up position, it's 1K active. So depending on humbucker versus single coil, depending on the amp, the up or down position is probably going to be the sweet spot where you want to live. But I thought it was very pivotal to keep the original, oh, I just want more of me. Can I do that? I don't want a mids booster. Because there are mids boosters out there, like for getting more mids out of your amp if it's a little bit darker. I thought it'd be cool to give them two different mids EQs because the guitar, like we live in the mid range. You know what I mean? You always 100%. see treble and bass EQ. You see treble and bass EQs six ways till Sunday. If that's the saying, I don't think I've ever used that before. Um, <laughs> but you don't really, you, you don't, you don't see mids and this is an active mids thing. So it's around 30 DB of that EQ. So you get this really big, like bell and you can actually see in the artwork that Jordan did, um, if you're able to zoom in on it, the icons for the mids are roughly where the like frequencies would be, so to speak, yeah. on a graph. So we put it inside of a circle, and then you get the mids. This one's higher up on the graph. This one's lower. So, and the EQs, why we chose them, is really just by ear. I think I had it in the breadboard. I had a substitution box, which we can talk about more afterwards. 
And I was just playing by ear what sounded better. Usually whenever I, we have a toggle switch, especially on our mini series, the two go- there, there's essentially two goals to achieve on the toggle switch. Well, I guess the first thing is, does it call for the toggle switch? If yes, then we proceed. The goal of the toggle switch is twofold. The first part is they have to both be different enough from each other to work, right? And then the second goal is they have to both be usable. So you have to be able to have those two positions and they sound different enough, but they also have to sound good. So if you've got one that's crazy this way and crazy that way, yeah, facilitated the first part of they sound different, but they weren't sounding good in its context, if that makes sense. Okay. So how long you know, was so, the, uh, the R&D for this, the gravity bomb? From the weirdly enough, so the original, so original gravity bomb we discontinued, I think it was like spring or summertime we discontinued it of this year. So a few months ago we discontinued it. We had the layout, we had the custom enclosure, we had all that stuff kind of ready. And then I, we were working on Renegade and then while doing it, since we discontinued gravity bomb, I didn't want to get more enclosures and have those screen printed or uh, UV printed and all that stuff. I was like, crap, we got to replace gravity bomb. And I honestly probably only breadboarded it for a day. Then had a couple people in the shop, try it. We adjusted the frequencies between the one K and seven K seven fifty. We tweaked it just a little bit. Then we came back to another day or so. Like honestly in the breadboard, maybe only had like a couple hours to it. Wow. Like it was one of those ones where we were joking around like, huh, really shit that one out, huh? <laughs> you know, but, 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 but it wasn't in the like vein of, Oh, let's just get something out to get something out. Cause we're really excited about this. Like it's it still got the studio treatment. It got the live treatment. It's great with different amps, different pickups and stuff like that. Um, it just, so I'm really happy with it. Um, and, like it's weird that it came about so fast for something that feels like you don't really see a lot of on the market. Like we did some of our market research and like you can't really find a lot of mini form factor boost pedals that do have a mids um, control on it, you know, active mids. Um, usually it's going to be treble or bass or EQ. So we were really excited to, you know, have this be our first V2 of a pedal and keep it at like a good price point of 129 it's something that we're pretty excited about. I've, uh, yeah, I've been holding out on a boost pedal. Uh, I don't know. To me, a boost pedal is, is super simple and they all do the same thing. I, I haven't, not to use a pun, but I haven't gravitated towards one <laughs> boost yet. <laughs> I, I kind of like the mids option on this one. This one seems a little more interesting, just a, a, a basic boost. I, I, yeah, I like, we, we, we definitely tried to add, add that. Like I said, like, and again, you know, it's come to the point where I think we're all at that point now in pedals, like in the lives of pedals where a boost pedal is become essentially enveloped by the utility world. It's such a utility thing that a boost pedal is almost there, even though it's actively doing an effect, whether it's coloring it or not, or just decibel wise. I think all of us can agree that boost has almost become in the utility world, like when you think of utility, you think of like expression pedals, you think of ABY pedals, you think of buffers, you think of signal splitters and stuff like that. I would say 
a boost pedal is almost a utility product now. Would you guys agree, disagree? What do you guys think about that? I agree, but it, it seems like, like you said, almost more of a recent thing because I remember when I got a boost pedal, none of my friends had one on their boards and I like was like, Mike, you got to get one of these, dude. It like changes the game. Like there's mm-hmm. so much you can do with a boost. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, too, it adds different flavors to your pedals. It adds different flavors to the amp, um, your guitar. It's just kind of like one of those things that you keep in the back pocket. That you can you can have it on at all times if that's your sound, or you can add it in as needed. And for yeah, me, one I, thing, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, one, 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 I was just going to say, like, with GBV2, like, with that mid-ZQ, it can actually, if you put it after, like, a certain overdrive or fuzz pedal, it'll bring out stuff that that pedal didn't have originally. So if you're fuzz like renegade or a big muff, which is a very scooped mid sound, if you put gravity bomb V two after it, you've got a different style muff pedal now. So you've got a muff pedal that actually has a mid to it. You can make your overdrive pedal sound different now, you know? So we thought that was kind of a nice add on that. It's like, Oh, try this with your favorite overdrive. It's a whole new world. Yeah. Oh man. You guys are going to take all my money. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least this That's, one isn't, it's, it's a 129, right? Yeah. 129 is the map for gravity bomb V2 and renegade uh, clocks in at 149 for um, the mini fuzz. But uh, yeah, we wanted to try to keep as affordable as possible with these obviously costs and inflation and whatnot and yeah. custom enclosure and stuff like that. But it's not unreasonable. You know, I don't, hear like any complaints with like Joel's stuff and it's like $900 for I was just going to say we've gotten to the point now to where like you know you look at some of the stuff that like Maris does or Joel does and it's like man this is $700 this is $800 and it's like it's gotten to the point to where it used to be man 250 bucks 300 bucks for a pedal oh man that's crazy and now it's like (laughs) <laughs> like I just opened my wallet for this seven hundred dollar pedal. I can absolutely make room You're, for for a hundred and twenty nine. You could have bought a guitar. Yeah, you could have bought a, a really nice guitar for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I like how yeah, your uh, your press releases say street price. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're 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 uh we're pretty um we got some street cred so. <laughs> Um, so do you guys have like official days that those are coming out or is that still top secret? We're not in the, in the loop on those yet or. Unfortunately, it's a little bit fast and loose with it because gravity bomb is done and on the shelf and ready to be sent out to dealers. But renegade had a small hiccup with its powdering and stuff. And we're just waiting for those to come in. They should be coming in this week and next week when we'll be building them. So most likely like end of October. So I couldn't give like a a hard date on it because, you know, stuff happens with manufacturing, there's delays, there's setbacks, you know, unexpected errors, but everything is done for Renegade. Um, and we're going to be putting them out the same day. So you'll probably be able to see that at, um, when this episode's out or maybe just after. So most likely end of October is the release date for it. Okay. Okay, For sure. I know this, uh, this world's not too friendly to, uh, anyone making anything with a circuit right now. So. A lot of challenges for you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely just something to traverse day to day with stuff. But I mean, <clears throat> definitely trying to just push the envelope as much as we can with certain stuff. And we even took, um, if we can jump over as well to our 
other thing that I sent you, Dylan, with the DIY, we took a completely different yeah, approach. You, you're on top of the transitions, man. Like just as I'm like, okay, here we go. Perfect segue into the DIY. You're already on it. Um, but yeah, we're we're big DIYers over here. So your new stuff that you released that's DIY, like really to me is like super badass in the sense of like it makes it so much easier for a hobbyist to kind of get into it, you know? Yeah. And the DIY actually started right at the beginning of lockdown. So it was April. So a month into lockdown and I was designing circuit boards at home instead of just on the computer here at work. And I remember we hit lockdown and, you know, you were seeing a lot of people just kind of like they had extra time, whatever they were doing, if they just put their life on pause. And I had this opposite reaction. I was like, whenever we get out of this lockdown, I want to have like 20 circuit boards done. I want to have 20 projects, no matter how big or small they are done, just like mm-hmm. start putting them together. And, and that's when these DIY things started. It was first off to be something that would benefit us as tools to design in the shop. And it has been, and it still is. And while I was doing that, it was April, 2020 and, um, or yeah, April, 2020. So it was, it was right before triple graph came out. You know, I was, I was working on the DIY thing while we were doing triple graph, which is really kind of crazy to look back and think of, but DIY has always been a back burner thing, but it's always been something I want to do. And as it was gaining speed, it slowed down because of triple graph. Naturally it had to take a back burner seat to it. Triple graph. We started being able to get some semblance of two years later. Now we have a crew. We've figured out the ins and outs. We're still kind of learning things from a manufacturing standpoint because we make all of the hardware on the outside of triple graph. Just to quickly go back to it. That's all made here locally in Massachusetts and we assemble it here in house. Um, we also flash the code. We put everything together in house. Um, the only thing that's made outside of here is um, obviously like the enclosures themselves come in from a manufacturer that I work with and like, you know, the circuit board has to get put in with a computer. But while we were doing triple graph and kind of figuring that out and being able to manage it, I was doing DIY in the background. And my idea with DIY was obviously something that we could use. Then the other thing was, you know, thinking about how great the pedal community is, whether you guys talked about it or hear about it, like everybody's so cool in the pedal community. We're all friends. There's really no animosity. That's not a competition. You know, if somebody makes something that we don't, we, encourage you, Hey, go check out so-and-so's thing. He makes this, go check out so-and-so's thing. He makes that. They send people our way. Like everybody's friends. We get together at NAM. Everybody's really cool to each other. And I wanted DIY to be a give back to the community. So when I was designing these things, I was thinking, what are things that don't exist in our world that all of these pedal designers do? And most of it was built around like breadboards and stuff. And if you've ever used breadboard or, I should say if you haven't used breadboard, it's just a series. It's, it's just a series of like connectors in small little holes where you can connect components and wire and all that type of stuff to make a circuit. I believe the original like etymology is somebody had an actual Baker's breadboard and they put nails in it and put the connections to it directly. Like the leads. Never knew where that came from. That's interesting. I think that's the etymology of it. At any rate though, these modern breadboards, you're able to put components in and try stuff out. However, if you wanted to try out a certain capacitor for a tone section and you're like, I want to hear if I, I want to hear with a different capacitor. You'd play your guitar, you'd hear it in the amp, 
you'd stop, you'd go over, you'd grab the resistor or the capacitor, you'd take it out, you'd examine what value it is, you'd probably go over, put it in its spot or put it on the side, grab another value that's different, make sure, put it into the holes in the right spot, then play again. By the time you do all that, you've probably forgotten what the original one sounded like, especially when it comes to EQ curves and gain structures and stuff of that nature. So these substitution boxes that we came up with are a connection of uh, a collection of 24 different component values. Um, and they range from a low to high value and a person's able to plug two plugs into their breadboard. And that simulates the two leads of the components. And with the rotary and a toggle switch, you can choose between 24 different values. So you can easily choose between 20 different, 24 different resistors, film caps and symmetrical pair of diodes. So the diodes thing is, is particularly interesting for me because I had seen film caps and resistor caps on the market before I had purchased them from like local stores. They were okay. And I thought, how can I make one better and more streamlined and look like our stuff to an extent? So I did that. And then I was coming up with the diode thing. So you guys are probably familiar with pedals like the rat or the Quan Centaur mm-hmm. stuff that uses like hard, hard clipping the DOD 250, right? The distortion plus those classic tried and true models that have hard clipping where it's just sending two, two, um, diodes to ground to simulate your clipping after it's been, the wave has been, um, amplified. So the diode box now gives you 24 pairs of different types of diodes to try out in your DOD 250 or your rat style pedal. Whenever you see like a rat that's got like led and silicon clipping and then no clipping, right? They figured out those ones that they liked and they tried it out and they auditioned it. Mm -hmm. This allows you to do it with literally the click of a rotary. You have 24 at your disposal, which is for us in our designing stuff, we used it when we were developing strategy V2. And that was like an indispensable tool for us to just have 24. Like imagine not having to take the two diodes out, put them back away, get two new ones, put them in, find your spot and then play again and be like, so how was that gain compared to the last one? Well, half a song went by and I can't remember, you know what I mean? Like and it's, I, I just don't remember. It's, it's absolutely on the other side of like, you know, the practicality for you guys, I can only imagine is like incredibly productive, but on our side with like, uh, I'm a very, 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 very amateur pedal builder. You know, like I, I, I really casually do it, but stuff like that to me is so cool because it's like you said, it's, you don't have to pull things out and I can kind of learn what the difference is between different values of things and, and really tweak and play with it with an, with a product like that with, um, cause you guys have one for capacitors, you have one for resistors and then diodes, correct? Yep. Those are the three that we have. And I'm going to talk about some more in a minute. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really such a cool option to like, if you're just even curious about figuring it out, like, you know, build a basic circuit on a breadboard, throw that in there and figure out what each different value does. Like, it's such a cool idea that, yeah, we, we wanted it to be like an educational thing as much as a give back. So you said you're more of like a tinkerer. So we thought that this is for the tinkerer, the hobbyist, the weekend person, like um, the circuit bender or even the professional because we all use the same stuff. And in thinking about that, we were doing adapters for toggle switches. So any type of toggle switch or... Um, potentiometer, those are like universal things. Um, and breadboards have generally a universal size. 
However, those two universal things do not match together. Like they don't work with each other. You can't put a toggle switch into the breadboard and have it work. So I created these adapter boards that turns it into being able to work in the um, breadboard. You know, it's so much easier than like soldering wires and having the thing hanging out and just like doing this thing, like teetering on trying Mm -hmm. to switch it and then it comes out. So these adapter boards for toggle switches and dual gang potentiometers, I had never seen them before. Like whether they existed somewhere I didn't know, maybe they did. I wanted to kind of collect everything in one section under copper sounds thing and just have a copper sound DIY. And those adapter boards came out of it cause they were super handy. And weirdly enough, the last thing I did was when we were designing the substitution boxes and the adapter boards, I got the idea to do the breadboards because, Oh yeah, all these things are essentially for the designers and builders to put them in a breadboard. So I came up with the idea for breadboards and you can see a mini, a small, a medium and a large because breadboards always come on a piece of metal with like connectors and stuff, but you can't get audio to it. You can't get power to it easily. You're going to have this off board thing. That's very like Mickey mouse or jank, whatever term you want to use. And like, yeah. you'd have to, <laughs> you'd have to, you'd have to adapt to it. What we used to do was we used to get old boxes that had like holes in them, something like this, right? Where it was like a bad enclosure and we would make audio jacks and we would make power jacks in a toggle in an led and status. You'd know, Oh, I'm bypassed or I'm going to the breadboard. So I just integrated that into our fully integrated breadboards now and made it so like the, our breadboards here come with the bus rails for power and ground. They come with the actual breadboard heart and then it has input jack, output jack, a toggle switch with an LED status, a status LED, and it comes with a, a regular standard center negative nine volt. So you can plug in. And this is again, another give back to the community. And a lot of people really liked it. There's some distributors that have it, some pedal builders that hit me up, um, tinkerers and stuff. Random people will get it that I've never seen. Like that's not a person from a company, but this person is probably into circuits on their own side. And it's just been really cool. The community has really enjoyed it. It's such a community of people that love to tinker. Like this is a very specific niche type of person that gathers pedals and all that. And so like for me, I, I've always wanted to mess with it. I never, I never did. I never had the chance to, but I always, it reminds me of like, I went to school for computer science, things like that. I, it reminds me of like the raspberry Pi and our Arduino boards, like messing with that. But now for the music world, and now I'm interested for the first time seeing all this, seeing how accessible it is. Yeah, it's definitely, I think it helps lower the bar of entry for how intimidating it might be. Cause if you get a breadboard and there's no connection there, like what do you need at bare minimum? You need audio in and out and you need power, right? And then you're going to do all the components, but these are integrated. So it allows you to do it. We put rubber feet on the bottom so it won't slip. And we also put in each corner, there's a small hole in the breadboard so that you could screw it down to like a piece of wood if you wanted or have it to be on something heftier. Um, Throw it that was the whole thing. It's like something. Yeah. So we always do ours on like pieces of wood. That way it's a little more hefty and it's not just on its own. And, and we've been doing this for like six, seven, eight years now. And I was like, you know what? I pay my dues. I'm sick of it. I'm going to design a breadboard for it. And when we were, doing DIY was the perfect time to do it. So this kind of all came together. And then I think it was like in the last like month or so, all the artwork, the branding came together and 
it just became what it is now. And the, the last thing in our DIY series I didn't talk about besides like the pre-cut wire is we created a solder dispenser that's made out of um, pedal parts. So if you guys take a look at the DIY press release, there's a solder dispenser that's made out of a pedal enclosure. It's also got hardware and it's got a spring that's similar to like a spring that you'd find in the back of a strat and the thumb screws that hold it in at the top are actually the two pieces from a triple graph pole. So if you look at your triple graph, Dylan, you'll see that there's <laughs> hardware on the back. Oh man. I love it. This is awesome, man. We're yeah, going to have so, to call uh, you up every time we you have a, something new so we can see all the secrets and all the hidden. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like pieces. I saw that in, from the press release, which um, if you're listening, I'm, I'm sure you saw like all the stuff we posted on the day that it was released. But I saw this on the press release, and I was like, man, that's such a cool little like a solder dispenser. I'm like, you know, I got to get one of those for my workbench. Like I said, you're going to take all my money. Um, but like, yeah, and then – like you said, we're zooming in and, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that is from a triple graph. I can recognize that piece from my triple graph. And, oh, that actually, yeah, that is a pedal enclosure. <laughs> like, man, it's I, I, such I, cool I stuff. think the pedal, the pedal enclosure aspect is the thing that's, like, we thought these were going to be the thing, like, oh, let's make a few. And if anybody likes them, it's cool. But we've been selling a lot of them, which is really cool, like, for the amount that we've made. It's like, I didn't think this was going to be the thing that people wanted. I thought they'd want this more or at all. And I think it's just, there's a, there's a cool aspect to it that it's like, Oh, I make pedals. I tinker with stuff. This solder dispenser is made out of the thing that I like. So it's really cool. And I actually made them all for guys in the shop. Like every station behind me that you guys are able to see on screen has them. I've got one actually here in copper. So I made this years ago and I ended up doing it. Um, like this, like inspired me doing it and like creating a color for, um, the DIY stuff, but like we have been using them at every station and anybody listening, if they're interested in getting one or if they do have one, one trick that I like to do is open up the back. There's no circuit in there. So don't get your hopes up. <laughs> open up the back. I, I like to open the back of it and then fill a Ziploc baggie with random hardware. They got any type of like metal into the bag and then put it in the solder dispenser and close it back up. Therefore you have extra weight to it. So it acts like a counterweight. So like my solder dispenser probably is an extra half a pound just because I put there, or maybe a, a pound worth of like random material and screws and lock washes and stuff that I save over the years and put in a box. And then I put that in the solder dispenser and now it helps it be a counterweight. Can you, There's a little pro tip. Can you make one into a, just like a basic expression pedal just so I can mount it on my pedal board anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Just a simple jack and an expression knob. Yeah, what if it was like the expression was like under your workbench and as you press down like the gas on like a car, it would roll the solder out. You know there what I mean? Yeah. It would uh, yeah. Make it happen. Yeah, that's DIY V2. Cool. Let's go. <laughs> An auto feeding solder dispenser. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, people grab it like going back to the flashlight thing. Yeah, you can get a flashlight really cheap anywhere, but our flashlight is built into a guitar pedal enclosure. And, and people really like that. And it, we've sold like 700 of them. I don't know how we've done it. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what? The desk light is pretty badass too. Like, <laughs> it's funny. I, uh, I started sewing a lot recently and uh, now I'm going to make an expression pedal to the, the pedal for the sewing machine. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. I think it's a great idea. The only man on earth with an electro harmonic sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so that that'd be really fun. So I'm curious. So how much of the DIY was stuff that you had already built, even just rudimentary versions of it? How much of it was it like things that you had built for yourself and tools that you were already using? And how much of it was like, we have this DIY idea, where can we go with it? Uh, good question. So the sub boxes, we were using substitution boxes from a local shop. That's where I got the idea to kind of like, how could I do mine differently and better than these ones that we have? So we were using those. Um, the solder dispensers I had made for everybody, like I wanted everybody's station to have a solder dispenser. I did it as a gift. I didn't tell people what they were getting. I'd be like, hey, what's your favorite color of the powders that we got in house? What's your favorite color of the powders? And I didn't tell anybody and I gave them the solder dispenser. So we'd been using the solder dispensers, some sub boxes, and I was working on doing the toggle switch adapters when it was kind of like, okay, we got to get this into a collection. So we may be using, we were definitely using the pre-cut wire because we have a, we have a machine that cuts wire to length and strips it. So we were using about 50% of the stuff. And then at the very end of the finish line, we were working on the branding and the name and the website and all the stuff that comes along with it and taking photos, I had this last idea. I was like, oh, well, why don't we just make integrated breadboards? So we were using everything except like the breadboards. And now we're going to start using everything with our breadboards. Interesting. It's just going to be so much easier. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been really cool. The reception's been great. Um, we have ideas for some more stuff. We, um, we're going to be doing a deluxe breadboard at some point. Um, because we have mini, small, medium, and large. We're going to do a deluxe that's probably got like stereo, like certain power things on it. Like uh-huh. kind of like if you're really into it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going so to jump the learning stage and go straight to making stereo pedals. <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> go right to the top of the mountain. We don't yeah. need a bunny hill. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> have you have you thought about doing any like uh, tutorials and stuff to start out with your DIY line? Yes, we've definitely thought of that. Obviously, the the work between the production and editing, all that type of stuff. We have made some videos for it. Um, we definitely want to do something in that vein to have a collection of all of our DIY stuff, um, tips and tricks, tutorial stuff um, as it comes along. You know, it's, it's tough. Like, I wish there were more hours in a day. But, yeah, yeah I guess the answer there is, yeah, we definitely want to do more stuff, especially as this um, adds. We have several things we're going to be adding over the next couple months or so, different modules for breadboards, different adapters for the breadboards. I've got a couple here. So I'll show you guys, at least on film. So we have three more substitution boxes to add to our lineup. So oh, wow. the next, next one we're going to be doing is going to be ceramic capacitor substitution boxes, followed by electrolytic substitution boxes, which I don't think either of these exist anywhere like this type of thing. You can yeah. find resistors on the internet. You can find caps, but you can't find this stuff. And the sixth one will be transistors. So you can quickly and effortlessly do different transistors for different boost pedals, different overdrive pedals, anything that takes a transistor. And it's going to kind of all be in the family. You read my mind. Cause I was literally, as you were going through those and I was like, okay, as soon as he stops, I'm going to ask him if they're going to do transistors. Cause that would be awesome for dirt pedals. But, uh, um, that, that- that's a little different because obviously it has three legs of a transistor, right? Mm-hmm. So the, these always have, as you see, like um, it's got two leads coming out of it, right? That one's going to have to have, it'll be the only one with three. It'll be a little different. Instead of a 12 way rotary, it's going to have two six way rotaries. So you'll have 12 transistors to choose between, but 
the leads will all be connected to each respective transistor's emitter, base, and collector. So you could literally design, say, something like a boost pedal with a certain transistor. Now, obviously, you got to bias it certain ways, right? Um, but you could, with the switch of a rotary, put a different transistor in there. You wouldn't have to worry about the pinout. That's crazy. Well, it's a game changer. Yeah, like, so we're, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, we just wanted to do a give back to the community that's been so great. And like, we're going to like, if we can help you make your design and whatnot, we'd want to be a part of your creative process. Wow. This is like, it's, it's awesome. It's like, like the, the stumac of guitar pedals. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. That's, sorry, carry on. Sorry. I was. I, you can't see this, yeah, but I mean, Dylan's going through your website right now. I'm, I'm just, shopping while we're talking. <laughs> he is adding everything to the cart. He's just... So if he seems distracted, he's very distracted by your stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'll take it as a compliment. It's it's definitely like going back to the whole community, how great it is. It, it, I wrote an article in Premier Guitar about it, but I definitely feel like whenever I talk to an outsider, a person that is in this world, and I mention like the DIY thing, like, oh, we're making... um we're making tools that other pedal builders can use. And oftentimes there's a reaction or an, uh, like an inquisition there of wait, why are you helping the competition? You know, and it's not really competition because everybody's in collaboration with each other. And this person makes something we don't, and we make something they don't. And ours looks different than theirs. And ours does stuff different than theirs. Like you can think of it as competition, but it's not really because we're all friends and we all, refer to each other and we all talk to each other and it's like everybody's been super supportive of it and they start understanding that you know and in my article I talked about this isn't an, an ad for my article by the way um <laughs> but I I, 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 me- I mentioned like how collaborative our world is and you guys are kind of echoing what I was saying about like how cool the designers and builders are with each other they're all friends at NAM. and in my article I mentioned like how cool of a world it is to live in where like I can ask a pedal pedal builder like, Hey, what do you do in this circuit? And they'll tell me, or they might hit me up. Hey, what supplier do you use for this? And I'll tell them. And I mentioned in my article, the line was something like, I can't imagine Ford having a problem with their engine and reaching out to Chevy and Chevy gives them the answer. (laughs) There's some industries that just seem like that. Like, uh, we're, we're good friends with a brewery here, low res brewery in Chicago. And the owner Dave was telling us, uh, Shout out Low Res Brewing. Yeah, shout yeah, out. Got to get the hat right. Um, he was telling us that all the brewers in Chicago talk to each other. They're all part of the same group, things like that. And they'll be like, hey, I'm, I'm low on this kind of hops. Does anyone have any? And they're like, yeah, we got some. Come by, pick it up. Or I've been there when another brewery in the neighborhood was there picking up other ingredients because he had an emergency and ran out. Like there's some industries that just are very helpful to each other. And we, Yeah, we, we have that same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's it. it it's it's more fun than like saying like, Oh, sucks to be you screw. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause no, I come I from the, the automotive world. Funny. You mentioned that and it is cutthroat. They don't pay for anybody else's like it's, it's mine or nothing. And I pay for only me like with my branding and marketing. It's, it's wild. Yeah. And, and I'm, I enjoy being in a community that's very collaborative and, everybody's out for the same goals and we all make the different stuff and nobody wants to step on somebody's toes. There's obviously going to be people that like overseas companies that will like make a clone or something. But like generally we've got such a great community here where it's like, if you come up with something like, Oh yeah, Hey, 
somebody already uses that or, Hey, this person uses that font with that color. It might be too close. We've had people reach out like, Hey, I want to do a pedal and it uses this font that's on Foxcatcher. Do you think that's okay? Is that too close? It's like, we don't own the font and like, you can do whatever you want. And it looks like yours is different enough. You know what I mean? And it's cool out of a respect thing more than anything. Wow. I never actually thought about that being able to have that kind of, uh, I guess, transparency between each other. Yeah. I mean, we talk, you know, people talk to each other and I think it's out of a respect thing. And, um, you know, cause like, I think it comes down to like, Hey, like let's rip these guys off and their color scheme and their font and their layout looks cool. Let's just rip that off. And people will see that and they'll generally know, I think the internet warriors will know, <laughs> yeah. but also at the same time, you don't want people to rip your thing off. You know, you would hope not like we would see people like back in the day with the telegraph, we would see people doing like some one-off things with the telegraph and people would even like come to our defense before us saying like, Hey, copper sound makes that thing. You know what I mean? Is that like a clone of this or whatnot? And like people see them, they know. And it's like, dude, you didn't fool anybody. The internet has like timestamps and metadata and all this yeah. type of stuff. And like <laughs> yeah. generally, generally, generally people want to support a company that they like that, that is cool. You know what I mean? Like you're going to try to avoid like supporting a company that's like, ah, they're outwardly white supremacists. Maybe I don't get stuff from there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you you, you want to try to, you, you, you like supporting the people. Like, you, let's go back again. You guys interviewed Joel. He's like one, he's like the salt of the earth guy. You're like, man, if there's a way I could give him anything of my business, if I'm in the market for that, just cause it's like, they make cool stuff. He's a nice dude. Let's have more of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, that's kind of one of the cool things with the pedal world right now is there was no world in which I could reach out to somebody at boss and sit down and talk to him. Right. Like, but, but here we are having this conversation, you know, we did the same thing with Steve from Demodash and Joel from chase bliss. And it's like the personalities behind the incredible product are, you know, equally as fascinating and equally as cool. Um, and I think as useful in marketing and stuff like that as anything else. You also touched on a good point where it's a, like it's like a self-policing market where if you do something to harm another pedal company, it's going to be all over Reddit tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's there's like a, a good balance there too, which is nice to have. And I think it honestly pushes the level of everybody's game further because it's almost kind of like a, a game of like, oh, they released something new and it was like kind of groundbreaking or something You're like, okay, like I need to do something as well, but it's in like a positive manner. Yeah. I think listening to podcasts like your guys's and like that type of thing, whenever I do, I often get inspired because companies are made of people and those people have stories about those products and their endeavors and the trials and the tribulations and people like hearing about that. There's a reason that like, sports radio exists. There's a reason the podcast exists. There's a reason like people that critique stuff exists and people like to hear those stories. Like you're watching Leno and all those great hosts back in the day because you want to hear those stories behind those people. And also at the same time, it's also a benefit when that person is cool and you get to talk to that person. Like you guys said, you mentioned Steve Demidash and he's like a super nice nerd. It's just like, that's the type of people that we all are, you know, and you want to hear those stories from those cool people. You know, you don't, you'd probably don't want to interview somebody who's like, you know, I'm better than you. I, I'm above you guys type of thing. And like, that doesn't come off uh, as a good thing. And like the, like, it's better to have some more peace and harmony in this world for 
all the mess of stuff that's always going on. It might be a nice little distraction from some of our unfortunate realities sometimes. And the pedals kind of offer that sometimes not, not promoting this as a healing medicine in any way, it is. but I promote you know. pedals as a healing medicine. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to any episode in the past, I'm very pro pedal. <laughs> Not healing, but it's. It, I mean, it's kind pedals of qualifies. are good for your mental health. It kind of qualifies as like a therapy. Yeah, right. It, when you tune everything um, out, that's your therapy right there. Yeah, sometimes you need it. You need that distraction, and I mean, obviously, there's definitely studies and stuff with music therapy, that yeah. type of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's just it's it's great to be involved in this world and people interested like you folks wanting to reach out to tell the story. And again, going back to that conversation, being in the warehouse of third man and them telling us the story, them taking us on a tour. And they were talking about, um, Guinness. Are you guys familiar with the Guinness book of world records? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They met, they mentioned to us the story, the Guinness book of world records is the beer company Guinness. Yeah. Is it really? It is. And the, uh, the story goes essentially something along the lines of it started as a way to calculate uh, a way to like record settling bar bets. <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> like oh, the Guinness yeah. book. No <laughs> way. I, that makes sense. No. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. Yep. So, so you're settling a bar bet. Like essentially it's like, Oh dude, my buddy ran the fastest mile in the world. I, I doubt it. My friend down at this high school ran the fastest mile in the world. Right. And that's, that story doesn't exist unless you tell it. You know what I mean? Now that you know it, you could tell somebody else and like, that's how it exists. Wow. I'm kind of mind blown. I don't know what to say. It, like, <laughs> Cause I loved those books when I was in grade school. You're like, Oh, rent it out library, go to the Guinness book yep. of world records, see what wacky stuff's Dude, on there. Book fairs in grade school pushed the Guinness books pretty yeah. heavily too. Which and they were wild to me. They were like, here, have this book of, from a beer company. Guinness like, knew how to enter the uh, the school market. <laughs> well, they also had like the flashy colors. I mean, yeah, you're a kid. You're, you're right. like, oh my god, emerald green. I'm buying that. <laughs> but you're actually yeah, you right. wanted it. It was like embossed, like logo on it, like Mike was saying. Like it was attractive. Wouldn't it be weird though if you like went back in the timeline? It was like Budweiser Book of World Records. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's what I'm weird. saying. The you good know, old Jim Beam Book of World Records. Actually, no, I want to I want to see the Bush Records. What are what's the what's Bush, Bush Light? The yeah, Bush, what's Bush Light, Light Publishing about. <laughs> yeah, I wish you just go to college towns. You'll find that somewhere. Uh, yeah, but these stories got to exist. They got to get out. Whether it's in a book like we do with Triple Graph, whether it's on a website, whether it's in a podcast, whether it's in a, a television um, interview, like people want to hear those and they want to hear about it. Like. I generally am most excited about a podcast platform where it has an interview from somebody that's like, Oh, I haven't heard from them or they're going to probably tell something that's really cool. And then in turn that inspires something else. Yeah. One of my favorite things about, uh, when we started this podcast, I have so many stories that from other people that I can tell that I didn't have before. And that's a really cool thing to have. Yeah, I will. I, I like hearing those stories. And again, like going back to the third man brain, third man is all about telling the stories. And, you know, it, it makes me think of, um, there was a story, I think it was on, um, the third, the third men podcast, which is a platform that only does Jack white podcasts. So, um, shout out to the Kaminsky's for that. And they were, I think Ben Blackwell, who is Jack's cousin was on there. He's now one of the owners of third man, or it might've been Ben Swank. It was one of the two Ben's, 
I think it was Blackwell though. They were saying, uh, yeah, it was Ben Blackwell. He was saying Jack was, I think in Australia, he was doing a sound check and this was, um, 2001 or two or so he was doing a sound check and he had been doing this riff for the sound check just to see, um, how everything was going. And he did the riff for seven nation army as his sound check. And he looks over at Ben Swank and he goes, Hey, what do you think about this? He plays the riff for seven nation army. And Ben goes, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've heard that story before actually, <laughs> but that's funny. Yeah, that's- so, it, so it was a sound check thing. You know what I mean? And you wouldn't get that without like, it has to be either written down or spoken in a podcast. And it's just like cool to hear those, like where, like with the, the journey of something, you know? So it add, yeah, it adds that like little extra value to it. You know what I'm saying? Like the whys of something, you know, you're like, it could look cool from face value, but like you're saying kind of like wrapping the whole conversation up, like the font, the, the textiles of the feel of the knobs or how this switch feels when I click it or how heavy the pedal is. Like it all just encompasses to an overall value. Yeah. And I think a lot of people see that and they gravitate towards it for one reason or another. And, you know, you could say you shop with your eyes, but, um, it translates and a lot of people see it and they discuss it and they talk about it. And, um, it's really cool. It's, it's a great industry to be a part of. And we're really like fortunate that we get to do this stuff every day and people see it and, you know, they want to support us. We really, really can't say enough nice things about that. I think that's a uh, great way to start wrapping up this episode. Just, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how else to. That was a beautiful way to <laughs> to put an end to it right there. I will invoice you guys for the segues that I provided. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> any uh, any last minute things you want to uh, put out in the world? Yes, your your platform to pitch. Yep. Yeah, I guess I would just um, kind of echo what we mentioned before. Check us out for the collaboration we do with Jack White and Third Man Records, the Triple Graph, Clean Octave, and uh, Auxiliary Effect Kill Switch pedal that we do with them. Um, keep an eye out for our new mini-series that we got, starting off with Renegade, our Silicon Fuzz, and Gravity Bomb V2 with interactive uh, active mids. And um, check out our DIY stuff. If you're ever interested in tinkering, being a hobbyist, creating circuits, um, the DIY section is going to be somewhere for you to check anything from wire and toggle switch adapters to breadboards and substitution boxes. Most likely will that'll be a location for us to create circuits and have kits. A lot of people really like DIY kits. It's a really fun place to learn and build stuff from. And uh, keep an eye out. Um, in the months to come, probably November, December, you're going to see a Telegraph version two. Whoa. Yeah, that's a, hanging at the end. Yeah, it's a good thing to just <laughs> drop as we're uh, finishing up here. Dylan almost reached for his wallet there. Yeah. It's just instinctual, <laughs> I think. It's just... It's like a weird twitch. Like you mentioned new products and I'm just like, ah, man. I'll just one-up and buy it and <laughs> never let you play it. Don't do that. Um... But what you should do if you're listening to this show is go to coppersoundpedals.com and hit shop and just 
I think just one of everything, right, guys? Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah just one of everything. You'll be good. Um, but no, Copper Sounds, you guys are honestly one of my favorite builders out there right now. You guys put out some incredible stuff. And like I said earlier, is that the quality and the attention to detail and stuff that you guys put into it. I may not own everything from you, but everything that I've played from you guys has blown my mind. So if you're in the market for some new gear, hit up Copper Sounds. They got the, they got the goods. They got what you need. We're also about to uh, dissect the triple graph, Dylan's triple graph, just to yeah. We're gonna we're gonna go missing. translate some Morse code. <laughs> yeah, we will talk to you later. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alex, for for hopping on the interview with us. We really appreciate you chatting with us. Yeah, for a little thank bit, you, man. man. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been a pleasure.